Hey, New Life Church downtown, Pastor Brunson here. Uh, thanks for listening in. Right now, we are in our approach to Easter. We're preparing our hearts to receive what Christ has done, and we're looking forward at the future with hope. We hope that this message helps you and blesses you. Everybody doing well? All right, we've got our kiddos in here, and Christabel is going to have the word for us, and so they're going to be waving their little palm branches, just like they did in the Bible. Christabel, you want to read it for us? It's going to be up here on the screens. The scripture is from Matthew 21, verses 1 to 10. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with a colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of them and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowd answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Come on, y'all, put your hands together for the kids. Good job, kids. All right, y'all can head out that way. Well, y'all, we are in Holy Week. Uh, we're, we're in our approach to Easter right now, and so we're, we're getting ready. Today is Palm Sunday. If you're not familiar with kind of the church calendar and all that kind of stuff, uh, we're going to be looking at the triumphal entry, which is Jesus entering into Jerusalem as king. And so we're going to be looking at a couple of aspects of that. But I, I wanted to kind of map out this, this week that's coming up for us. Uh, Friday, we have something coming up called Good Friday. And so we'll have a Good Friday service right here, I believe, at 630 Seven. I know what time it's going to be. Uh, at seven, seven o'clock. Um, and, and we're going to be looking at the crucifixion of Jesus. And then we'll have Easter Sunday celebration. That'll be next Sunday, our normal times, uh, 9.30 and 11.15. And so y'all come out and bring somebody with you. Uh, this is the best time to invite somebody to uh, church is Easter and Christmas. And so people are the most open. So be thinking about who do you want to invite? Who's that person at work or whatever that you've been wanting to invite to church? And uh, it's going to be a good time to do that. And so uh, uh, kind of recap last week, uh, we had Pastor Tad in, that's my best friend uh, in the whole world. He was in and he, he, he taught on, Ian's pretty jealous right now, I saw his, his feelings got hurt. Um, sorry, Ian. Um, he, he taught on Jesus cleansing the temple, which actually happened after our text for today. And, and what he looked at is this. Jesus came in and turned over the tables, but he, he was confronting something specific. There was something specific that he was doing and confronting that offended them. Because think about this. Why kill Jesus, right? That, that was the question Tad was answering. Why would they kill Jesus? You know, blonde hair, blue-eyed Jesus, right? That, that's, how we, that's how we look at him so often. But Jesus was not that way. Jesus was offensive. And the number one way that Jesus was offensive is he confronted their idolatry. They had an idolatry of the church, and what Tad pointed out is this. I think it's, it's so important for us 
anything can become an idol, and the better the thing, the more likely it is to become an idol in our lives. And so church can become an idol. Y'all, anytime we put something in the place of God, it becomes idolatry. Your kids, it's crazy. These little angels who've never done anything wrong, who are up here, right? Our kids, we can start orbiting around our kids instead of orbiting around God. And and what we know is anything else that we try to build our life on other than God, it's sinking sand, right? It doesn't have a firm foundation. And so we looked at that last week. This week, we're, we're going to be looking at a couple aspects of the personality of Jesus as he came in uh, to Jerusalem. But my thesis this morning is this, is that Jesus is the humble but confrontational king who gives us one of two options. We can crown him or we can crucify him. We can praise him or we can kill him. And so there's going to be a lot of teaching today, so take some notes because when you get to heaven, Peter, who holds the keys to heaven, is going to say, where are your notes from church? And if you don't have them, you're not getting in, okay? That's, that's terrible theology and not what I believe. If you're new to our church, welcome. Uh, I'm Bronson. I'm glad you're here. Uh, let me pray, and then Jubilee's going to go, and then she'll come back and make it spiritual again later, okay? Uh, so let me pray. God, we thank you for your word. God, we believe that you are the creator of heaven and earth. God, we believe that you breathed and you spoke and life came into being. God, we thank you that you sent us Jesus God, that you planned Jesus the moment that we fell as humanity. You planned us into sacrifice. And God, we thank you that Jesus came and lived for us. Jesus came and died for us. And he rose from the grave, which we're going to celebrate next week. God, we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, stir our hearts this morning. Teach us. Help us become more like you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said? Come on, all God's people said? Yo, isn't there something so compelling about somebody who's in a high position who's humble? And being, is willing to be brought low. You know, this morning I was talking to Coach uh, Fitzhill, and he was telling me about uh, January 15th, 1991. Uh, It was the uh, desert storm, it was the war over in the Middle East, and uh, a general named Storman Norman Schwarzkopf. Y'all remember who that is? Y'all remember that name? Storman Norman Schwarzkopf uh, came in, and, and generals are not supposed to be on the front lines, but he surprised his troops. He came down. And there were uh, a group of airmen who were about to be deployed, and he came down and he shook their hands and he encouraged them. And y'all, that energized these troops, but not just those troops. Word started to spread that the general had come down to the front lines. This is significant because generals were not supposed to put themselves in such danger, but he went away from that norm and he went down to encourage the people who were fighting the battle. There is something that is so moving and motivating about somebody who who is great, who's willing to be humble, and who's willing to be brought low. Think about it in in, uh, restaurants. If you ever worked at a restaurant, when the manager starts bussing tables, right? It just gets everybody motivated. It gets everybody going. Just imagine if the president of the United States walked in, no secret service agents, no armored cars, jeans and t-shirts, and sat down in church, right? We would notice. We'd be like, Moved, It's so humble that he would do that. There's something that we're moved by when someone is humble. You know, this is who Jesus is. Let's look at this. He's the divine son of God, but yet he chose to be born of a woman. He was chosen by God, yet he was despised by men. He was born king of the Jews, yet he was rejected by his people. He was priceless, yet he was sold for 30 pieces of silver. 
He had all the riches of heaven, yet he emptied himself of riches and became poor so that in him we might become the sons and daughters of God. He says, in his kingdom, the greatest shall be least and the least shall be greatest. The leaders will be servants and the servants will be leaders. You know, we see this duality to the nature of Christ written into the arc of the scripture and it can become a stumbling block for us. Why? We struggle with gray. We want black or white. He, he doesn't fit into our categories, we struggle with that. We're going to look at that here in a little bit. But he didn't fit neatly into the categories of the people of the first century either. He didn't fit the way that they thought he should fit. He wasn't a king in the way they thought he should be king. So point number one is this. If you're taking notes, so you can go to heaven. <laughs> Jesus is the humble king. Somebody said, stop. <laughs> Jesus is the humble king. Matthew 21, verse 5. Say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Here, here we see the embodiment of this great mystery. This is what we see in the scene. This is the king of kings riding on a donkey. <laughs> a donkey, Shrek, right? Like donkeys, kings don't ride donkeys, right? Look at this. Nobody looks cool riding a donkey. Doesn't look cool, Right? And biblically, it was a baby donkey, right? You know, this is a horse that is fit for children or hobbits, not for kings, okay? But that's what Jesus chose to ride in on. Look what, what Dr. Tim Keller said. He said, Jesus chose a baby donkey, which is almost comical. It's very deliberate and clear in fulfillment of Scripture. He's coming to rule, and he's coming to save, but not by taking power and killing. Y'all, that's how other kings operate. Not by taking power and killing, but by losing power and dying. He's going to triumph through weakness so his followers can only come to salvation by repentance and admitting their needs. Have you ever tried to get a toddler out of the house when you're in a hurry? It's impossible, all right? They, they sense that there's somewhere to be. And so they find something to busy themselves with. They find something that is of utmost importance. My baby, my baby, right? And they like, you know, get this pile of stuffed animals that they've got to have. And one second, there's one toy that is the highest importance. And one second later, they see another toy that is just as important, right? There's no way you can get them out on time. Why? Because they have no scope of your agenda. They have no scope on where you're trying to get them. It's like, if you don't leave right now and drop that baby doll, you're not going to have any baby dolls because dad's not going to have a job. All right? I, I, I can't be late every day. They have no grasp of a larger plan. They only have their agenda. They think of what they want, and the next second they want something different. They are fickle, right? Everybody say fickle. We know this about toddlers. Here's what's interesting. In this text, the same people who were shouting, Hosanna, praise him, Hosanna, crown him, on Sunday are the same people who were shouting, crucify him on Friday. They're fickle. He confronts this in us. Why? God didn't give them what they wanted in Jesus. I wonder, have you ever turned on God because things weren't going the way that you thought they should? Have you ever walked away from your call because life wasn't going the way that you thought it should? We are fickle. If we're honest, we know this about ourselves. They wanted a crushing and conquering king 
who would defeat Rome and give them their land back, and they got a king on a donkey (laughs) who came to die. He wasn't coming to Jerusalem as a courageous king riding a war horse, but he came as a humble king riding a donkey who would be conquered. So they gave up on him. They were done with him. They wanted a different king. Question, what do you want? What do you want out of Jesus? What do you really want? Like your heart of hearts, what do you most desperately desire? What's the thing that you say, God, if you do this, then I'll follow, right? Anybody ever prayed those prayers? Like, God, if you just make her fall in love with me, override her free will on my behalf, Lord. Ludicrous, right? If you just give me that promotion, Lord, not because I deserve it, because I want it, right? Help me jump over the other person. God, if you get me out of this one, right? I don't want consequences. I want mercy. God, if you give that person what they deserve, then I'll follow you. They don't need mercy. They need consequences, right? Jesus confronts this desire for control in us. And he says, if you want to enter my kingdom, you've got to enter through humility. He emptied himself. The king of heaven emptied himself of riches to build his kingdom. So if we want to join his kingdom, we've got to empty ourselves as well. We must admit, y'all, the hardest thing, the most simple barrier of entry to the kingdom of God is also the hardest. You have to admit that there's nothing that you can do on your own. Listen, you can't eat, you're you're not even good enough to die for yourself. Think about that. It's like, God, if I just, if I just died, you know, then I'll go to heaven with you. No, that wouldn't even work. You're you're too wicked. And and if you're honest in your heart of hearts, that's something as we go through life, how, how do we know that? We make terrible, terrible leaders of our lives. And and what we do is we we insist that God bend his will to us, that he bend his plan to our plan, but our plan's a bad plan. How's your plan worked out for you so far in your life? It doesn't work. Even the strongest of us die at some point, right? Even the wealthy of us, when we pass, our ancestors will squander our wealth, right? Right? We see it in King Solomon, you know, there's an interesting allusion here. King Solomon in, in uh, 1 Kings chapter 1, um, King David was getting old. And what had happened is one of his sons decided, hey, this is the moment. Dad's weak. I'm going to take the kingdom. There's a son named Adonijah. And Solomon's mother, Bathsheba, if you know the story, came to King David and said, didn't you promise the kingdom to my son Solomon? And so David said, I did. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to mount Solomon on my royal donkey. And I want you to march him from the Kidron Valley, which is exactly where Jesus went, up through into Jerusalem and declare him the rightful king. Solomon was king because David declared he was king. Jesus is king because God declares that he's king. And we have to find ourselves, we have to fall underneath his lordship and his leadership. What does that mean? We have to bend our will to his. Yo, how ludicrous is it 
that we demand that the Ancient of Days, the King of Kings, bend his will to ours. We're toddlers who are demanding baby dolls, not knowing that we're headed to Disneyland. We're demanding our way. We're saying, God, give me this. Give me this thing that I want. If you do, then I'll follow you. And God's saying, I've got something far better for you. Y'all listen to me. Don't miss out on God's plan. Don't be so proud. Don't be so full of your ways that you miss his way. And in that, you miss life. Here's the problem. We try to dominate we, we, we try to crush, we try to dominate, and we try to bend life to our will. The humble king confronts us. He says, my kingdom of suffering brings life. Jesus is the humble king. He lays his life down for us. Point number one, Jesus is the humble king. Point number two, Jesus is the confrontational king. Let, let's look at this scene of Matthew again, and we're going to break it down. Uh, verse six. The two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him, and they threw their garments over the colt, and he sat on it. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others cut branches of the trees and spread them on the road. Jesus was at the center of the procession, and all the people around him were shouting, Praise God for the Son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in the highest heavens. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this? They asked. Okay, I just want you to enter into this. I imagine all of the city is celebrating. All of the city is in an uproar because of what's happening. Jesus is no longer hanging back. If you study the scripture, you'll see that so many times when Jesus heals, he instructs the person he heals not to go and tell everybody about it. He instructs them to keep it quiet. Why is that? Jesus is trying to keep what he's doing from getting too big because he says, if it gets too big, it's going to keep me from being able to do the work that I'm doing. But here we see a shift in the way that Jesus is operating. Jesus is having an about face in his public ministry, and he is forcing the hand of the religious leaders. He's no longer being coy about what he's come to do. He's come to conquer. He's come to confront. He's come to be king. And he's giving them two options. He's saying, you can crown me, or you can crucify me. He's come to judge and conquer, but he's come to judge and conquer their religious behavior. You know, we as a generation are not comfortable with judgment, right? We don't like that side of God. We're, we're comfortable. We, we, we want justice. We long for justice, but we don't want judgment. You know, unexecuted judgment is unrealized justice. You cannot have judgment. You cannot have justice unless judgment is brought. Think about it. If somebody is oppressing somebody else, is hurting somebody else, if there's no judgment for that person, justice will never be brought. There's a quote from Dalton Taylor. He says this. He says, there are diverse excellencies in the person of Jesus that seem like contradictions, but they're not. He's a fierce lion, but he's also a sacrificial and tender lamb. He's the creator of all. He's the sustainer of life. He's the son of man, the son of David, who was born of a virgin, grew up as a natural Jewish man. He's the judge of the living and the dead who will hold all accountable and judge them for their sin. He's also the redeemer and advocate who bled on behalf of the world. He loves infinitely, yet his wrath is terrifying. We see that his mercy knows no end, and yet his justice 
is furious. What we see here is we see a king, we see Jesus who is coming to confront the religion that has built up in these people. We see in this chapter, he curses a fig tree. He goes into the temple and he turns over the tables and he says, not anymore, you're not gonna operate like this. He preaches the seven woes to the Pharisees, which I wanna encourage you, go look at that in Matthew 23. It's challenging stuff. Y'all, Jesus was bold as a lion, but yet he was humble as a lamb. He, he came to say that this old way of exploiting others and excluding those who are far from God is over. Again, he's saying, crown me or crucify me. He knew exactly what he was doing. He knew exactly what this would mean. This is the final time we see what theologians call the shadow of the cross. Anytime Jesus does something the religious leaders don't like, he knows where it's headed. But here's what I love about Jesus. Jesus is the lion-hearted king. He feels fear, but he doesn't bow to it. He steps and he does what his fathers asked him to do. He knew when he got on that donkey <laughs> that they would kill him, but yet he did it anyway. Man, don't you want to be this way? We want the humility of the king, but I also want the courage of the king. Listen, Jesus confronts the coward in all of us. And he offers a way out. He does the hard thing. One, one thing we're, we're trying to teach our children is that dukes do hard things. That, that's one of our family values. Dukes do hard things. And, and right now, I'm working with Georgia. One of the hardest things is dealing with your emotions, right? And so little kids have big emotions. And so I've been working with her on like, okay, how do we recognize that, that our emotions are our servants, not our masters, Right? And so this is something we've been drilling. This is something we're working on. And every time she throws a tantrum, I've got this little thing uh, that I do with her. And uh, one of our values as a family, we do hard things, but we also tell each other the truth, even, even when it hurts. And so we've got twins right now. And so with twins, if you don't have twins, which most of us don't, uh, they, they oscillate. One will have a hard day one day, and the next day it'll be the other one. And so Judah Man was having a hard day. I think this was Wednesday. And so Callie had been with the twins by herself all day. And I was going in to get Roman, and she yelled over to me. She goes, I can't feed Judah Man this time. All right, I've lost my patience. Mom's done. you got to feed Judah Man. I'm like, you got it. And so wh while I went inside, this is a recollection from Georgia of what happened. Hey, can you tell me, hey, can you tell me earlier when Mommy was upset, what would you tell her? It's true. What? I said Mommy got control. She had to get control? How do we do that? Can you show me? Can you show me? What do we do? Hey, what do we do? What do we do? We reach up and we do what? That's right. Who's the boss at George's emotions? That's right. One of the proudest moments of my life. When we're throwing tantrums, Georgia, your emotions don't have to control you. You're the boss. And so it's hilarious. Callie wasn't out of line. Callie wasn't doing anything crazy. She, was, she could just tell mom was exasperated. She said, mommy. She walks up to her. She goes, mommy, reach up. Get control. Reach up. Get control. And she did it yesterday, too. I'm so proud. She's getting it. But what happened there? She confronted, right? She saw that mom was upset. She was like, Mommy, you got to get control. You got to do this. Y'all listen to me. People who won't confront, confront you don't love you. And people who don't want to be confronted don't have many real friends. 
Y'all, something that we have to have in our life is people who tell us the truth. Y'all, Jesus is humble, but Jesus tells us the truth too. Y'all, but there are diff- there, there's a difference for those of us who are like, heck yeah, confrontation. Where are my confrontation people at? Where are my bold people at? It's okay. My hand's up. I'm one of those people. Here's the difference. All of us have a leaning. I'm, I'm going to say this, and we're going to break this down. All of us have a leaning. We're either confident crushers or we're meek and we're humble, and at worst, we're cowardly. Both are terrible. One runs over people. One is run over by people. And what we see in Jesus is that he helps heal and he helps fix this that's broken within us. He came as the lion and the lamb. He came to speak judgment, but also die for those he came to judge. He's the lion who chose to be slaughtered for the lives of others. But y'all, if we're honest, we're nothing like that. For those of us who are bold in our personality... We're too bold in ourselves. We would never lay ourselves down and die. We'd crush, we'd dominate others. We would ride in differently. For those of us who are too humble, those of us who are too meek, too cowardly in ourselves, we'd never be willing to stand up and fight for those who can't stand for themselves. We're too cowardly. Christ confronts the crusher and the coward within us. Before church, Daniel Worthy gave a word to our serve teams. He was like, I look at church as like a huddle. It's like we get huddled up together and we get coaching and we get told by coach, hey, this is what we need to do. We're going to have a huddle moment here. You know, some of you guys, listen to me. Some of you guys are crushers. You're crushing your families. At home, you're yelling at your wife, you're yelling at your husband, you're yelling at your kids. You're throwing things, you're pitching a fit and you are dominating your home and no one knows. You're a crusher. Jesus came to make you humble. Jesus came to heal that that's broken in you. You know, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking about yourself less. And those of us who have this natural bent, you know who you are, towards crushing and dominating, Jesus will teach you to start thinking of others more. Y'all, there is freedom that comes in this. Men, a lot of us are doing this. We're going to talk about that more in a little bit. Some of you, you're cowards. You're sitting back while your family's struggling, while your kids are hurting. You're letting your wife do all the work. You're letting your wife discipline your kids all the time. Men, we've got to do better. You're afraid. You're afraid of something, whether it's the way that you were raised or whatever. Jesus can make you a lion heart. Jesus can help you rise up. Women, some of you are in the same way. You need to tell your husband the truth. You need to tell your kids the truth. You need to tell your friends the truth. Jesus can make a coward a lion heart. Jesus can take somebody who's a crusher and abuser, and he can heal you, and he can make you humble. How can this happen? How can he transform us? We have to lay everything we have at his feet. We have to lay what we have before the king. Matthew 21, 8 through 9. Most of the crowd spread their, spread their cloaks on the road. How do we experience this king? The people in this passage are laying down their cloaks to honor Jesus. Cloaks were used as protection against the elements and the heat. And what they're signifying is they're laying down their cloaks that they want King Jesus to be their protection. Here's the truth. God will ask for more than your cloak. He'll ask for your life. Matthew 16, 
24 through 25, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. He's saying, if you want to follow me, it will cost you, it will cost you everything. What's the way that you store up protection and security and value for yourself? Is it through your finances? Is it through the people that you put around you? Is it through your personality? Jesus will ask you for all of that. But when you bring him your life, you'll find that you'll find your life, that you'll find reality, that you'll find your purpose. So I'll ask it again. How is your life going with you on the throne of your life? How is your life going with you as king? Here's the offer of Jesus. Here's the offer on the table. The offer on the table is lose your life, be crucified with Christ, and find your life. Or live life on your own terms, be your own king. And so death and destruction and those around you and eventually reap the judgment of God because you didn't accept the sacrifice of God. Y'all, that is the truth, the hard truth, but the truth of the gospel. Why does God do it this way? Because in ourselves, we reap destruction. In ourselves, we bring destruction on the people around us. We bring destruction on, our, on ourselves, in our own lives. And Jesus is offering us something totally different. The hope of the gospel is that Jesus can make you new. We're going to talk about this more in depth next Sunday, but I want you to ponder something this morning and the rest of this week as we head into Good Friday. What do you need to have crucified within yourself? Take up your cross daily. It means to die every day to yourself and take up Christ. What do you believe makes you strong? What do you need Christ to crucify in you? Is it the crusher? Are you pushing people around? Are you bullying people? Christ wants to put that to death and he wants to make you humble. Are you a coward? You're fearful. You're sitting on the sidelines. You quit battling sin. You've given up. Christ will make you brave. Jesus is our lion-hearted king. He's our humble lion-hearted king who will bring that out in us. Yo, you can absolutely, yo, this is the gospel. That your life Yourself, dead as you are in your sin, can come to life in Jesus. That while you were an enemy of God, Christ died for you so that he could raise you to the fullness of life. When we lay what we have before the king, and when we do that, we gain both humility and courage from the king. We lay our possessions, our passions, our belongings, and our praise, our very lives before the king so that we can become like him. Matthew 21, 10 through 11. We're going to close with this. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. You know, one of the things that's given me courage to change in my life, and I, I want to be transparent with you guys here about where I find myself. Eternal security gives us a lot of earthly confidence. Like, it, it can be scary to admit that you have a weakness. When you've operated a certain way your entire life, 
Like for me, I, I, I struggle with crushing and dominating other people. When I, when I was a kid, I had a fierce temper. <laughs> I don't think there's a hole in my house I didn't punch a hole in, or a wall in my house I didn't punch a hole in, kicking holes in the walls, punching holes in the wall. I punched a hole through a wooden bathroom door. I was an idiot. crushing, furious. I just had this rage and this anger within me. And y'all listen, I met Jesus June 30th, 2005. I got baptized. God absolutely renewed me. I was filled with the Holy Spirit. God was changing me, but I still had this wicked temper within me. And one day I went outside. I was in a rage. I was angry and I punched a tree. I was like, I'm going to punch a hole in that tree. Like I said, moron shattered my hand. I've still got scars on my hand from that moment. In that moment, the Holy Spirit said, how's this working out for you? How's all your rage, how's all your anger working out for you? I said, it's not working. And honestly, in that moment, I was like, this is so stupid. <laughs> Getting this angry does nothing. This is so stupid. Like, this is dumb. Being angry like this is dumb. And the Holy Spirit started to reorient me where that passion started to come under control. That rage turned into purpose and drive. And God showed me, hey, I made you energetic and you can point that passion, you can point that rage towards positive things. And God started to teach me how to channel that into building his kingdom. And now I get to channel that same intensity into teaching my daughter, hey, reach up. Get control. We can take those things, those, those passions that God's given us, and they come under the control of the Holy Spirit. Yo, that is a powerful force in your life. Some of you guys, you're not a crusher, you're a coward. But you know what God made you? God made you humble. God made you meek. God made you willing to listen. God can turn that. But y'all, a meek person that's also brave a meek person that's also willing to tell the truth? Ooh, that's a powerful thing in the kingdom. There aren't many people like that. So as we close, worship team, you can come forward. We're gonna stay seated for a minute, but I, I, I just want you to take a moment as we approach Easter. Look inside of yourself. Where do you land? Are you a bully? Listen, men, are you bully in your households? Look at me. I'm gonna be bold with you. I wanna coach you for a second. Are you pushing your family around? Nobody knows. Maybe your wife's not telling anybody, but you know. I was talking to a friend of mine this week. He said, man, I, I yell at my wife. Nobody knows it. I cuss at my wife. He said, I've gotta change. He loves Jesus. He wants to change. I said, let's partner together. Let's work on this. Women, are you raging at people in your household, your friends? God can transform you. Man, are you standing idly by while the enemy wreaks havoc on your friends, wreaks havoc on your kids? God can make you brave. Don't be a coward. Stand up. You can do it. Women, same thing. Exact same thing. Maybe a man in your life, maybe a person in your life, maybe somebody at work is pushing you around. Listen, because you're a Christian doesn't mean you have to be a doormat. Tell people the truth. Be confrontational. It's okay. If you're a crusher, God can make you humble like a lamb. If you're a coward, Jesus can make you a lion heart. 
He can make you brave. Amen. I, w- I want to close with a quote uh, from John Stott. I think this lays it out perfectly. He says this. He says, but can human nature be changed? Is it possible to make a sour person sweet, a proud person humble, or a selfish person unselfish? The Bible declares emphatically that these miracles can take place. It's part of the glory of the gospel. Jesus Christ offers change not only to our standing before God, but to our very nature. This tremendous inward change is the work of the Holy Spirit. God can change your heart. He can change your life. He can change everything about you. So as we close, I've got two questions for you. What's God speaking to you right now? And what are you going to do about it? Hey, church, thanks for listening in. Uh, If you're looking for what your next step is, please visit our Instagram, NLC Downtown Little Rock on Instagram. Click the link in our bio and you can find any way you want to connect. There's Bible studies. There's cards on there that you can click if you want to get prayer, if you want to get baptized, or all different ways that you can serve and connect. And so we love you, church. Please do us a favor, like and subscribe wherever you're at. It helps uh, push the podcast forward. We love you.